Hi, this is PJ Stevens with another PJ Tips podcast on leading business change. And today I have the stupendously good-looking Chris Cook, Olympic swimmer, um, as an international swimmer, Commonwealth Games, European champion, gold medals, silver medals. I'm going to let him uh, introduce himself in a minute. But for listeners, the reason I've asked him to join us is because he has a great view of simplifying things in what is becoming an ever more complex world and from a leadership perspective is what can we do to make our lives easier how can we simplify things as they as they as i say as they get more complex chris is going to really help us with that but first of all chris do you want to just introduce yourself and give us a quick overview of you sir yes certainly thanks for uh, inviting us onto the podcast i'm i'm really excited about this because you know my, my background is swimming i was an olympic swimmer and um, went to two olympic games athens in 2004 Beijing 2008, and I expired <laughs> at the age of <laughs> I expired at the age of 30. Um, but I was still producing my best, and and I believe in I believe in kind of throwing in the towel, I guess, or when you reach your peak is understanding when that comes, and then moving on to pastures new. Um, I'm pretty good at that. I'm now a business coach, speaker mentor um and do you know what i said it on a on a um podcast a couple of weeks ago i've never been happier than what i am now so wow. yeah excited to do this thanks and don't, don't you have a swimming business too for kids you've put thousands yeah. and thousands of kids through swimming haven't you yeah we have we've got a swimming business up in darlington up in the northeast um called swim buddies and we started off with a small handful of kids and now we've got a thousand children in the academy we've seen thousands of children over the last eight, nine years. It's just mad. It is mad. And yeah, we love it. We absolutely love it. Brilliant. And so listen, why does just tell, why does swimming matter? Who who cares about swimming? <laughs> yeah, I guess it was just something that kind of grabbed my heart when I was a kid. You know, I watched the Olympics on TV. I watched Adrian Morehouse win a gold medal. He became my hero. Oh, wow. yeah. Watched Nick Gillingham. We've got a really good pedigree of breaststroke swimmers. When you look back, David Wilkie, Duncan Goodhue. Now we've got Adam Peaty, who's just storming the world, you know, and yeah, they, they, those guys just the early the early days, guys, I guess, just inspired me to mm. make a start. And I just think there's so much you can learn from a sport like swimming. You know, the dedication, the commitment. You know, everybody who gives that amount doesn't always get to the top, but they still get to take themselves everywhere. If that makes sense, you know the the skills and the, the develop the personal development you go through on that journey, even though you might not reach the podium or reach mm. the dizzy heights of the Olympics, you still have that under your belt. And that's the bit I love is there's so much to gain other than just standing on a podium. That's what I love. And, and I think that's some interesting also for, for like, you know, business people too, because mm. not everybody will become a business owner. Not everybody will become, mm. you know, a gazillionaire, but mm. we can all sort of enjoy the, the journey. But I've got to, um, two little toads at home that love <laughs> swimming. And actually we started because we live on the coast and therefore you kind of have to learn because I think it's a yeah. great life skill, right? I mean, yeah. literally life to to save a life, you know, potentially. And my when I was when they were little, I said to my wife, I just want if they jump off Limington Ferry halfway yeah. between Limington and Yarmouth, I want them to, be able to make a decent fist of you know, <laughs> swimming the mile or so at home. And she sort of thought that was a bit extreme. But anyway, and now and now we're on the um, the 3.55 a.m. sort of parent. Wow. 
But even that's really good for the kids because they learn that discipline as well, right? Yeah, definitely. And like I say, you know, it, it, there's, there's so many ways now you can kind of make your living. There are so many different ways you can make your living. And I think, you know, that kind of introduction into sport is, is one way of saying to people, you know, there is a pathway that's very different from just business alone. So for me, back back when I started like, kind of concentrating on it, there was no kind of living to be made. It was, if it was, it was starting out and it was kind of bursary led. Where now you've got international stars who are doing exceptionally well. So it is a it is an avenue for people to go down. But you're absolutely right, life skill. For me, I, th- I think the biggest thing for me is it's a personal journey swimming. Right. You know, I remember my coach saying years ago, your mum isn't here to do your laps now, sunshine. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh yeah. And he was, he was quite a hard-nosed guy, but he, what he was really getting across in that moment is, it's on you and that's all right. And I think we shy away from that sometimes with our youngsters. You know, we take away all of the stress and all the, the stuff that maybe puts them into a bit of turmoil. But I don't believe in that. Nothing grows without a little bit of pressure. It's just about applying the right pressure at the right time. So I feel really lucky that I've met people who were really straight down the line and honest with us because I, I feel as I live a happy existence because of it. Now, and, and how do you, just, just to help me, how would you relate some of that pressure to business? You know, for example, do you think we put people in business, you know, under enough pressure or do we make life too easy for them with, um, you know, have we gone a bit too woke, do you think, in business? That's, that's a really good question, actually, really relevant for today's today's climate i guess i guess the big thing is the first thing to realize is there's no such thing as pressure it's a story it's a story that we make up whether we like it or not and people go no no, no it, it's real. it feels real but it's still just a story you know if you get two people stood on the blocks in the same race same event on the same yeah. training they can respond in a very or react in a very different way so it must come from the central nervous system that the stems from the brain. It has to. So it comes from how you tell the story. So actually, there's there's a case to be led there to tell a better story, tell a better story to yourself. And I, I remember that. years. I, I remember years ago, my sports psychologist said it, and it kind of rings true with what my granddad said. He said, you know, the most important conversation you ever have is the one you have with yourself. Make sure it's good quality. <laughs> and I'm like, that's such a good point. So simple. But actually, if you go right back to the ancestor of all your actions and reactions and responses, they come from your thoughts. It's amazing. So how do you, just help us, when when you walk out swimming, right, because you, you you literally have swum globally. Mm. So how do you manage swimming in different places at different times? Uh, what's my question? What's similar in every swim race and what's dissimilar <laughs> that you have to manage in every race? That's a great one. Well, my motto, and um, it took me a long time, it took me nearly 16 years to get this, mind you. I feel a bit embarrassed. <laughs> but my motto was to swim two lengths of the pool as fast as I could. That was it. And, you know, every interview that I had, Sharon Davies would thrust a microphone in your face. How was that swim? And I'd say, I was just here to swim two lengths as fast as I could. You know, and I was I was religiously doing that because my mindset was that the pool's the same length, the blocks are the same. Generally speaking, the temperature of the water is pretty much the same. The the electronic starts the same. All of these things are the same. Yet, yes, the country might be different. Yes, the mums and dads in the audience is a few more than the Leeds Christmas crack I meet. <laughs> you know, there's a few more <laughs> yeah, yeah. than what you would get locally. But actually, it's the same thing. And it's about your it's about training hard enough so that your brain goes out and in search of the similarities and not distracted by the differences. 
And it's kind of similar to life, really. You know, how many times have you left the house in a kind of a mess because you're thinking, oh, great, there's so much going on at home and I could do without going to work today. We've all had those moments. That's the point at which we've got to then start to simplify. What is my mission? Because generally speaking, overwhelm happens when we're thinking about the future a little bit too much. We're thinking about what's on the job list. How am I going to get this done? And that's when overwhelm happens. But actually, if you look at life, it opens out as a series of events from now, right here, right now, just opens out in the now. So the question really is, is there such a thing as the past and the future? I think it's a mind created reality. So, so, so how do you, so now you're just saying that about the simplicity bit and the, the mm. I've just got to swim two lengths of the pool, um, you know, as fast as I can. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm working with a customer or a client at the moment that is making things as, in my view, as complex and as difficult <laughs> as possible. I mean, seriously, you wouldn't, we have to have a meeting about a meeting prior to the meeting, <laughs> you know, yeah. for the meeting. And you think, dear, dear Lord, right. This is a, in my view, it's a pretty simple sort of mm. task that, that, that we're doing but could you give um could you give us some tips on how to reduce that distraction or that procrastination stuff and just bloody swim the two lengths or the <laughs> yeah you've got you've got to firstly build a process you believe in and i think you've got to go out there and treat it like an experiment you know what what i hear when you were talking there meeting after meeting i've been in businesses like that and there's a massive lack of trust there it usually comes from per a person who just wants to control it. Mm -hmm. And invariably, they get stuck in that entrepreneur trap where they, they all, they're almost over-managing the, the situation. And you never get your best out of your team. You never get you get the best out of yourself in that situation. So you've got to you've got to build a process you believe in, but you've got to get out there and experiment and, and just try it out. If it fails, that's okay because it just gives you results. And then the next time you go out and you go, well, that didn't work and we'll just tweak it. So that's the, that's a really important part of any athlete's mindset is they go out and dress rehearse. They, they just rehearse it, come back and they go to the coach, right, what are we doing next week and the next few weeks on training? How does that match up? Oh, my start was poor. This was, wasn't so good. Your back end speed was great. And they get all geeky about that. So there's a big reflection and review piece. That's an important part. But for me as well, it's about making that journey from hoping you're going to do well or you're going to deliver a project to thinking you're going to do well or deliver a project to believe in if you can take those three steps the next ultimate step is knowing and when i ask people in my coaching sessions you know are you are, do you know you're delivering here and they go well well you know there's a, there's a few things that need to fall in line <laughs> okay so maybe we need to focus on that and once they start grasping the fact that actually many of them are just wishful they're almost right. in the hopes. They're almost in the hope zone. They don't know what delivers their performance. And and again, once you get talking, it's, it it invariably comes down to a handful of really simple steps that they just need to consistently do and show up. Um, but that journey from hope to know is a really important part. Great. That is, that's sorry. You've, I've gone quiet because now I'm thinking about that that bit about how often do I hope rather than have I planned <laughs> thoroughly. Um, and, and it is, it, that's one thing actually, just go back to my kids, what I'm really enjoying with the big one is he's, you know, he's starting to get those processes in place. You know, are all these little things, you know, have you packed? Is your swim stuff dry? Have yeah. you eaten properly? Have you, because those are things he can control, right? So that when he gets there, he gives himself the best possible um, opportunity. Now in businesses, we, we, you know, you just said about you, you basically you've got to go and do it and then you kind of get feedback. But I see quite mm. a lot of procrastination. There are some businesses or business leaders, they're almost afraid 
they're almost afraid mm. to have a go at running a project yeah for fear of well for fear of the change or for fear of the unknown how you know how do you how do you help businesses through that I guess you've got to work out kind of if you're stuck in the perfection trap you know that perfection constantly polishing something up before it gets out there and you know I think the marginal gains thing was phenomenal you remember Steve Peters a few mm. years ago and, and David Brailsford they brought it to the forefront from British Cycling everybody went at it and I think the bit that was mis kind of communicated was in order to work on the one percent you need to get the big rocks right first mm. And I think people went out there concentrating on these tiny little things, working on millions and millions of little things, but actually didn't get the big chunks right. Because when we get the big chunks right first, the ones that truly, truly matter, the ones that make us swim faster. So for me, it was a fast start. That was kind of essential. I needed to be able to dive. I needed easy, easy speed down the first length. That was really important because I didn't want to spend myself in the first half of the race and have nothing left. I needed a fast turn around the wall, as lightning as quick as possible. And then I needed to bring it home as fast as I possibly could and still have something in the tank, but also leave everything behind and then finish with my hands fast into the wall. Now they're my big chunks. That's, that's all I essentially need to do in order to do two lengths fast. Now there's a vast amount of work goes into helping me do all those five components. And we could talk all day about the different training <laughs> regimes and oh you could i could get really geeky on you yeah. but essentially that was my focus when i went into my work and week am i hitting these five things consistently enough to deliver what i'm here to do and i don't think we do that enough in business i think we mm -hmm. i think a lot of people have a busyness not a business oh god what a, yeah. what a great punchline i'm stealing that i've never heard that before <laughs> permanently borrow it is that is that is copyright chris cook um, oh, i don't that, know that, right so i'm really interested in that because they people are very busy and yet you actually mm. wonder about how productive yeah you know people are whereas you go back to your point is i gotta swim you know two lengths as fast as as humanly possible you know in yeah. your case this is going back now i've got to tease you here this is like 10 years ago isn't it under 60 seconds two years ago yeah is that right is it 10 years yeah, it's longer. It was uh, 14 years, I think it was. Oh my so lord! So now there's a young guy now called Adam Peaty. That's um, I mean, he's yeah, pretty he's... quick, I think. Adam Peaty. He's uh, <sighs> what's he three? What was he about three seconds? Must be. It might be four seconds. No he's... way. Yeah, he must be. No, I think it's yeah three and a bit. He is just phenomenal. He is he is the king of breaststroke, and it's just yeah. I think it's just phenomenal to watch him hit the water. He's that guy who's in the know. Every time I watch him, he walks out and you know he's going to win. Right. It would need it would need an earthquake. So he doesn't just have belief. He has self-knowing. So if you track that back, and I don't know what his training's like, although I do know his coach, I don't know what his training's like, but I'm guessing all of his training is building up his confidence that he goes out knowing. And that's what I was talking about before. You know, when, when in 2008, when... Uh, I think it was uh, Usain Bolt won his second gold medal at the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had said it was a long way to go to pick up a medal. <laughs> and, and everyone thought it was really arrogant how he kind of referenced that in front of his competitors. But what he was really saying or what I heard was, I'm ready. All the stuff I've done makes me know that's a game changer. So let me ask you, if I may, um, in terms of business, right? So let's just go over a few years. Let's let's assume, um, you know, about Adam's about three seconds Mm. you know quicker you know, than your time if i may you know it knows there's been an improvement okay of yeah. something like a five percent can we call it a reduction a five percent reduction what how could we help businesses 
apply or what could they do to apply a 5% reduction in their business, business costs, waste? I'm just thinking how good that would be for their business, but how good mm. it would be for the country. Mm. So what, what coaching or suggestions would you give for people to save 5% of their time? When you look at swimming now, and I'm an observer now, I'm not on the inside. I've, I've stepped right out. I just observe. But what I've noticed is swimmers are looking very different now. You know, they're looking extremely powerful. Now, back a fair few years ago, there would be this balance between don't get too big physically because you've got to drag that through the water. But actually, when you look at swimmers now, they're getting that balance right between power and speed and all that, but the, the sheer size of them, but and reducing the resistance. And that's the key. I think a lot of businesses work on the kind of ramp up and dial up the, the workload, but I don't think they look at reducing the resistance because what often happens is the more you push off at something, the greater the resistance is. Mm. So actually, and I, and I get this a lot, I get people saying, um, so I get people saying, oh, well, oh, we're employing two more people in the department, I can't wait because it's really going to alleviate the workload. And six weeks later, once they're in, it's worse. <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, can you talk me through how it's worse? Oh, well, I mean, hey, all of a sudden we've got this work to do and now we've got more people and they haven't focused on where the resistance is. They've just added more and more and more and more. So my kind of go-to or my, my challenge back to a lot of businesses is who's working on reducing the resistance here? Because that's simple mm. physics, isn't it? That's just simple physics. Where's the resistance? Where can we trim it down? And that's not saying getting rid of people at all. That's not that at all. This is about finding out how can we become really laser focused to hit the mark every time and what's in the way, what's getting in the way. And um, But a lot of the time, people don't want to have these conversations because they get really awkward. Well, they, actually, the conversation is really interesting because there's, and I say to a lot of people, the, the, the largest reducible cost in business today is in working relationships, right? Yeah. If we don't get on, if we don't like each other, we won't have those conversations. And there was a study done, and it is quite old. I think it could be 2008, 2009, but it's, I've never heard, no one ever checks, never, sorry, and no one's ever concerned it's 10 or 12 years old. But it mm. says something like 90% of you know leaders and managers are unable or unwilling to have quality, difficult conversations. You know, some mm. try and have them by shouting, <laughs> but it does, we don't want to address what needs addressing in a clear and meaningful way. And yeah. so we end up kind of sort of skirting around, you know, these issues, which means they still sit there, they still fester. So yeah. we could actually reduce a lot of time just probably in having that that meaningful conversation, right? Absolutely. I think the key to these conversations is, first of all, show you care. You know, what do you care about needs? To, it needs to be at the forefront. You've got to care about that person. You might care about the business, the project, yourself, your relationship. Show and share that you care. And overall push for time, but that's a really, really important part of, of, of awkward conversations because mm. there's a part of the brain that's listening out for the threat. And if the threat is just coming in a direct challenge and no care, that's when you've got a scrap on your hands or that's when you've got disengagement. <laughs> and, I, and I see that a lot in business. Um, whereas in sport, that you know, I've seen people kind of thrash things out in a very different way because people assume that you're on poolside or in the pool because you care about it. So there's already that assumption there. Um, so we've been doing that for eons in, in, in that kind of environment quite successfully, but I see it kind of just get dismantled in a few businesses now because it gets a bit awkward. Why do we overcomplicate stuff in business? 
Because it was Don. Who was it? Who was one? I think it was one of the dragons on Dragon Den. I can't remember who. I, I generally can't remember. But somebody said, um, "Oh, you know, <laughs> business is simple. People just massively overcomplicate it." <laughs> I forget. So who it was, true. But, uh, <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah, it is. I think it comes from that kind of more, more, more attitude. You know, and and sport went through this a long time ago when you know athletes were doing just a handful of sessions, then someone would do a little bit more, and then someone else would do a bit more, and th- th- they were facing outwards. I, in my coaching, I call it, let's face inwards. Let's face the right way. Mm. And when we're constantly facing outwards, that's when there's just more, 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 more. And you're looking around and you're 360 in the situation. Actually, when you pause and reflect inwards, there's so much more to learn about how you do something. So you can kind of dial up the quality without even like ramping up the hours. And that's the key, I feel. is is, And that's what coaching and mentoring can bring is that chance to press pause on all the busy stuff and go... Hang on a second, is, is everything on your to-do list right? Is it in alignment? And I often ask this when I um, get up on stages and share my two-length story. I'll say, to, put the hands up if you've got a to-do list and all hands go up and they kind of wry smilers as well. Who's this punk on stage? Who's this yeah. guy? <laughs> and then I'll go, keep your hands up if you've checked, you stopped doing this in the last 24 hours. And all hands go down. And I'm like, okay, that's the most important list. You stop doing this. But many get stuck because they don't know what to stop doing because they don't know what's contributing in the first place. <laughs> no, no, that's really interesting. That contribution, you know, if you know if you know what's contributing to success, then mm. you can do more, do less, stop doing uh, accordingly, can't you? Absolutely. And I think, you know, um, what's got most people to where they are is useless now, but we don't <laughs> review it or reflect on it. Yeah, and we need to get rid of some of it. Some of it's, some of the traditions have been handed down by people who aren't here <laughs> but we oh, keep God. them going don't we they're not oh, no, here. You know, my old my old boss liked me to do this my old boss there's a business i'm working with at the moment or a team there's they're actually from several different businesses and uh uh listen please don't if anybody's listening don't be offended but when you're in the room you'll get um the rolls royce guys will go but this is how we've done it at rolls royce this is how we've done it at renault this is how we've done it at leonardo yeah. this is how we've done it at okay that's fine but that's not how we're doing it now that's not what the current project needs you know because this is a very fast forward-thinking project and actually what you did 10 or 20 years ago I mean I think to my dad who was in banking um, for 40 years to the day from 16 and a half to 56 and a half when he retired and I saw him do a bit of work you know it was very much sort of face-to-face walking around you know and now we've got digital banking you think in Germany is it N26 N27 Mm. you know now I mean there is no bank yeah you know, so so they're not doing all those things that used to they don't even have stores or high street premises. You know, it wow. it is it just exists in you know in this um, in this wonderful world of the you know the interweb, and that's fabulous. But to that crossover between suits and printed paper and things to just yeah. you know almost nothing, yeah, is quite incredible. So I want to ask you quickly um, if I can. I know I haven't got yeah. you for long, but I would just want you to talk me through a little bit if you could, because I'm interested in not just leadership of self, which you've really eloquently talked us through a whole bunch of, of, of stuff today, Chris. I'm very grateful for that. Mm. But when we think about the sport as a whole and mm. the sport has to change, so we've got, you know, you said you've got, you know, swimmers, the training is different. We've got some of the products or the materials, mm. um, you know, from those little budgie smugglers of blokes, <laughs> in, you know, years ago to now some actually really cool material. My kids asked me the other day, they've They've seen some skin type trunks. I'm not sure what they call. They're about 300 quid a pair. They're like, oh, wow. um, they're not having those, by the way. Um, <laughs> but you've also got changes at a different level. So how does 
how do how does FINA leave change when perhaps there are trans women that want to join the you know to join swimming? How do we manage those changes at a, at a greater scale for for the sports benefit and for the community benefit? Do you know what? it's such an important question and a one that we definitely need to get to the the core of and answer us? I guess um, my feel on it is fairness needs to take centre stage in everything that that's involved in sport. That's the first and foremost. We need to create categories where people can swim, that, that people can actually compete and fulfil their own dreams, regardless of their gender. However, what's been happening in swimming is we've had transgender um, integration into female swimming, and that's been that's been really controversial. Obviously, FINA have overturned that recently, and so I, I'm glad, I'm really glad of it because I do feel it was heading towards maybe ruining women's sport, in, in, in particular swimming, um, because it, it, it does favour some of the advantages that you get as you go through puberty. You do get advantages, larger hands, limb length, all sorts of power opportunities in the body. So I, I guess right here, right now, Fina have, have kind of quelled it for a second, but actually there needs to be a longer term solution to include everyone because it is an inclusive sport um so i guess that's the the hard and fast rule of it yeah it's not not an easy one is it but an important no. one because i i mean i i love sport and uh, just on on the fairness thing if i may and i'm not just distracting from what you were saying but i watched a race at the worlds the other day with summer mcintosh and katie ledecky is it in the yeah before and you kind of think about what's fairness because they're miles away one i think summer's about is she 14 15 yeah, and, I think you know, Katie's young. like really old. She must be like 25 or something. <laughs> um, but it was interesting to watch the the young and the old. Um, mm. I hope Katie doesn't kill me for saying that. But, you know, how do you, you know, is is that fair for having a 14 year old, you know, slapping your ankles of a 400 meter race? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's part of that. That is part of the sport. That is a given, you know, that 25 year old might have that better race experience. Well, that's a that's an advantage. That's an advantage that you kind of gain as you go through your career, that you work through that advantage. This is not a biological advantage, I guess. Then you've got the younger swimmer who maybe doesn't produce that much lactic acid, so they have an advantage. But that that's kind of a given within the sport that we, that we work with, and that makes it really exciting. When you have an advantage that isn't all out, and that's not to say the deck is going to win every race just because he's got experience, or the younger one not producing enough lactate is going to win the race. But actually, when you've got bigger paddles, when you've got bigger feet, when you've got longer <laughs> limbs, when you've got more power to add to it, it, it you know, I've been part of the sport. It is, it is unfair. There's no getting around it. And we used to have um, a lot of the female swimmers I used to train with used to specifically train and race in training alongside the guys. And when I asked one or two of them, I said, why do you, why do, you do it? And they said, well, we'll never ever get beaten like we get beaten off you guys. So if we can get as close as we possibly can to you yeah, in the same event or mi even mix up yeah, the events yeah. and have a go, then we're, you know, when we go to the competition, we're almost stepping down. That should tell you everything. <laughs> that one statement should tell you everything. Smart move, actually. No, no, thank you. So, Chris, give us um, just in closing, and I do want to thank you, you know, very much for joining us on the uh, on my my PJ Tips podcast. And it does say PJ Tips. We want one final tip from you. So, just from business leaders, you know, you've talked uh, an awful lot about how to reduce resistance, mm. how to add performance, how to make you know 
those those big kind of big step changes mm. one final comment one 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 parting tip how can we enable business to be even better from your experience through through swimming please get into a habit of listening to understand not just listening to respond listening to understand is a completely different set of ears it requires silence it requires questioning it requires the right environment listening to respond whether we like it or not is on your agenda not the other person's yeah. i didn't you know what after your 40 years of swimming I didn't expect you to come out with listening as a top tip from a, you know, and a, and a generally as a, an international swimmer, but perhaps that says just how much you understand the sport and the world of mm. business. So, um, Chris, listen, I'm going to thank you very much for joining us on the PJ Tips podcast today. You've been a, an absolute star. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, Chris, where will they find you? Um, I'm on Twitter, Chris Coop GB. I'm also on LinkedIn and drop me an email at info at chriscoopgb.com. Thank you so much. You absolutely rock. Thanks so much for today. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, PJ.